Genesis chapter 26. All the promises of God to Abraham, Isaac, and then all of a sudden we come to chapter 26. What do we find here? And there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that were in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now, this is weird. In the middle of God's promises, we have adversity. Now, I always thought that, well, if I'm in the middle of God's will, I'm not going to have any problems, right? Well, I find just the opposite as I truly study Scripture. We remember Jesus spoke to his disciples, and he said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And as they go, they're crossing over. The Bible says a Eurocyclodon, a violent storm that came off the Mediterranean, churned the waters up of the Sea of Galilee so that these trained fishermen woke Jesus up and they said, Alas, Master, we perish. The Bible tells us that these storms are so bad and so fast that it has sunk many ships. Now, we find that when Jesus got to the other side of the lake, there they met a demon-possessed man in which Jesus delivered from the demons. The point is, is this, many times we in our Christian experience, we feel that because God loves me, I will not see adversity. I will not see storms on the Sea of Galilee. I will not see famines in my life. Just the opposite. I believe those things happen to drive us into the arms of God so that we'll know better what to do when we get where we're going. Let's look at this. There was a famine in the land. Now this also happened to Abraham as well. And the Lord, then the Lord appeared to him, Isaac, and said, do not go down to Egypt, dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you for you and your descendants. I will give all these lands and I will reform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. God remembers, keeps his word. I like that about God. You know, a lot of times we think that God's forgotten me. I'm a Christian. God, if, if, if you love me, why am I going through this? Why am I going through this famine in my life or going through an, a time of moving? Now, remember, because of the famine, it required Isaac as, as well his father Abraham to move from their comfy, cushy place where they were to a different place. Now, remember, God, there's only one of you, okay? And I believe God will go to great extents to move you and me where he wants us to be. And oftentimes he will use adversity to do it. Usually when everything's going my way, things are comfy, things are cushy. God says, I want you to go. You go, thank you very much. I'll stay right here. I like where I'm at. I like the conveniences. Don't bother me. But God has a way of motivating us. And I have found in my own personal life, sometimes it's through discomfort that God gets me where he wants me to be. Well, this was the case with Isaac. And so he once again reiterates to him, I have made a promise to Abraham and to you that I'm going to make of you a great nation. 
Now this, I'm sure, was probably some pretty good news in the midst of being in the middle of a famine. Usually in the middle of a famine, usually in the middle of a downturn in an economy, you think, well, God, everything is, is, is you know, going down the tubes. I, I, there's nothing else here. God says, no, not at all. Though there's a famine, I'm still going to take care of you. Always remember, you as a child of God, God will take care of you. Why? Because he's committed to you as your father in heaven, as committed again to us, his children. This is why Jesus once again said, when you pray, pray in this manner. Not not repeat this mindlessly till it doesn't mean anything anymore. But he says, pray in this manner, our father which art in heaven. You see, you have a daddy in heaven that loves you, that will supply everything you need. He meters out to you and me the things that will cause us to be where we're supposed to be. Disconnect from the things that God doesn't want in our life and have us be of the most effect. There's only one of you in the world and you're scarce. So God will move you around to influence as many people as he can for his kingdom. Notice he says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Isn't that weird? Now, we have been studying the life of Abraham. We find many failures in Abraham's life. We find that he was married to a really hot babe, okay? And because he was married to Sarah, he was always going around telling everybody, she's my sister. Because he was afraid that somebody would say, hey, you're a doll baby, we'll off old man Abraham, and then we can marry you. So he said, from now on, whenever we get around anybody, when they ask who you are, say you're my sister. Now the truth is, he was, she was his half-sister. So you might say he was only half-lying. But the point is, he was lying to deceive. And that's where the problem comes in. We find Abraham was anything but a perfect man. But yet, as God used Abraham, God uses you and me, remembering God is greater than the things that we've done wrong. And so that is great comfort to me because, again, sometimes we feel that, God, I have splattered it, I have broke it, I can't fix it. And generally speaking, that's the case. But God is bigger than the things you've done wrong. This is, again, I've shared this so many times. The religions of the world will always in some way tell you how to get right with God. Go burn so many incense sticks. You know, go recite the church's mantra. Um, uh, Feed the rats. Sell flowers in airports. Wear orange. Wear blue. Uh, All these different things to appease God. The good news for us as Christians, the Father has already been appeased by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. So there's no appeasement required by you and me. That's good news. In other words, now we're free to be his children. Not that I'm trying to earn something, the favor of God, but I already have the favor of God. You already have the favor of God through Jesus Christ, which allows us then to be about our Father's business. 
The religions of the world are always trying to get their followers to appease God. Again, go say so many Hail Marys. Go feel your rosary beads. Go do this. Go do that. They've got all these directives for you to get right with God. Right now, in Jesus Christ, you are right with God today because of his blood that was shed for you. Isn't that good news? I don't have to earn God's love. He's already given it to me. But here's what makes Christianity different than all the other religions. God can fix the things wrong in your life. All the religions will say in some way in their minds how to get right with God. But only Christianity, the Bible says, is bigger than the things you've done wrong and God fixes those things. Again, so many people I've talked to in my life saying, well, I'd be a Christian, but I'm afraid I'll fail. First of all, let me tell you something, you will. And as we study the Bible, you're going to see how God continued to use people in spite of their failures because they loved him. Deep down in their soul, in that born again heart, they love God. You look at King David, you look at all the failures that he did, whether it was the sin with Bathsheba, having her husband killed, and then marrying her after he got her pregnant and didn't tell anybody. You look at all the things. You look at Peter. I'll never deny you, Lord, before the cock crew three times. The Bible says, before the cock crowed twice, Peter had denied the Lord three times. The point is this. God still loves you in spite of our failures. This is one of the great things that we find here. God attributed Abraham's faith as righteousness. I like that. In other words, he said, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word. In spite of my failures, I'm still going to take you at your word because you're good. I'm not, you are. So let your blessings flow. Now that should encourage every single person here today that God's blessing is upon you. Now we're going to talk in just a little bit as we get a little farther into this chapter why that's important. First of all, you need to realize something whether you like it or not. If you're a Christian, God's favor is upon you. It is not your money. It is not your looks. It is not your education, the friends you hang with, the school, the education you may have achieved. God's blessing is upon you. Here's what's important. You may not always recognize it, but those around you do. Some of you might say, well, I I don't have much of a testimony. You may not think that, but people that have known you for many years know there's something different about you now. Absolutely. They know. And in fact, oftentimes, they don't see the hand of God in your life. All they see is a transformed individual. In other words, they see the finished product, but they don't see the hand of God in your life. Why? Because first of all, the world says, be blind to the things of God. So they don't see, first of all, God in the world... Even though the Bible says in Romans, the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen. If you're looking for them. But they see you as a transformed individual like Abraham. You took God at his word and God says, okay, 
I'm going to bless you. And God begins to bless you and bless you and bless you. People of the world, your friends, your family, those people that you work with, look at you and say, wow, what are they doing? Oh, well, what, what, who are their friends? What kind of education did you have? See, what kind of money do you have to allow these successes in your life? They don't see God. They just see the result. And I really believe, friends, it's up to you and me to tell them, hey, it's not by anything that I have done. It's what God has done in my life. People oftentimes will try to copy what God has done in your life, not realizing it's God. In other words, we'll look at the successes that that person has had. I'm a lot smarter. I have a lot more money than they do. I can do what they do and have greater success than them. And they go out and fall on their face. Why? Because it isn't you. It's the God you serve is the one that is giving you the directive in your life. See, people don't see that. Now, you can train your eye to see God. You can. The Bible says his promises are new every morning. What does that mean? Well, that means that God's going to do something new in your life every day. Can you see that? And here's the problem. Again, we don't want to be like the world and not recognize God's hand in our life. That's why I want to not complain. I know sometimes I still do. But God doesn't want me to complain because God's got his hand in my life. God's got his hand in your life. It's easy to complain about the famines in our life, not seeing the God that says, okay, I'm just going to move you to where I want you to be and I'm going to use this inconvenience to get you there. And I have found sometimes the greater the inconvenience, the quicker I will move. Have you noticed that? Say, I'm not going to go there. You're on your way going the other way. You have a flat tire. God's got your attention, guaranteed. You're going to be meeting new people you didn't know before just because of that flat. Isn't that amazing? Why is that? God's got divine appointments for his kids. If you're his kid today, first of all, I got some good news and I got some rough news for you. The good news is you belong to God. Second of all, because you belong to God, God's going to interrupt your schedule. You see, God, I got my little picket fence all the way I want it. And God goes, oh, that's very nice. Watch this. And just flips it all over the place. And we say, like in the famine, uh, 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 God, I thought you loved me. God says, I do. And that's why I did this. I don't want you to be comfortable in your surroundings. I want you to be comfortable in me. Because you know why? Those things always are changing. I don't know how many people make investments. And we do our best. You look at different things, people, some people are in the stock market. Some of you have your 401ks or 201ks or whatever they have become tied to the stock market. Some of you maybe have bought gold or silver and you look at that and you see that silver was a a year ago $15 an ounce. Now it's like $23 or $24 an ounce. But that's subject to change within the hour. And we try to do our best with what we have. And God says, I know you want to do that, but your sustenance always must be in me. And no matter whether we're in the middle of a famine in our life, in a season of our life, 
in a job season of our life, God is faithful and always will be faithful. And again, this is because God wants us to be in him, not in our thing. So, because of that, Isaac loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly. No, Isaac dwelt in Gerar, the land of the Philistines. Now, this is to me really interesting because God moved Isaac from his comfortability zone. Again, I like comfortability. I was in Las Vegas yesterday. And I was happy. I was driving down the road coming back to Idaho where it was 121 degrees. You know, it's kind of neat. You go into the auto repair shop and they go, here's my dashboard. (laughs) Just melted right out of it. And I'm going down the road. Air conditioner dies. And I look down and there's lights flashing. Oh, Christmas. No. It says, get off. Pull over immediately. You're overheating. So I pull off. And I thought, well, maybe this is just a glitch. So I took off again. The lights all come back on. Then it goes into what's called limp mode. I don't know if anybody knows what limp mode is. That means you can walk faster than it'll drive. And I limped over to a place. And there, and, and I, I, was, I was spazzing out. I was going, what am I going to do? Well, long story short, it all worked out. But the point is, is this. Talk about an inconvenience. Uh, by the way, what it was, the uh, cooling fan wasn't coming on and cooling the engine down, so it just went crazy hot. And I found when it's 121 degrees, lots of stuff doesn't work. And, and uh, your, your shoes melt. I, I got a pair of shoes, and, and literally the bottom of the shoe, I was walking and I kept feeling something flat, but the whole bottom of the shoe melted off. I go, I've never seen this in my life before. We have a shirt that says it's not the end of the world. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's got a guy with a pair of binoculars. It's not the end of the world, but you can see it from here. Well, I don't know. Maybe I should have what it says. This is not hell, but you can see it from here at 120 plus degrees. Well, anyway, the point is, is this. Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Now you have a person who loves God, promise of God in his life, dwelling with heathens. Now we're going to see why this is. Now remember, your daddy in heaven loves to showcase you. Don't you like that? I mean, when you have something really neat, you like, you know, people that got like old cars, they like to take them to the park and let everybody else go, you know, and, and things like that. Do you know God likes to do that to you too? You're his kid. Blessing of God is upon you. The anointing of God is upon you. And God likes to say, hey, I'm going to put you on display. Now, I know you like to be on display where you live, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to move you far away from where you normally are so everybody can see just how good I am to you. God does that. Exactly what happens. Let's read this. And the men of the place, verse 7 Ask him about his wife. And he said, she is my sister. Here we go again. 
Generational curse? Nope. Learned behavior. I learned that one from my dad concerning my mom. Same thing. Now we find him doing exactly what is... So be careful, moms and dads, what you teach your kids. It's not generational curse. It's learned behavior. And I do believe if they see you, mom and dad, drinking, the temptation for them to drink will be there. If they see you smoking, the temptation will be for them to smoke. If they see you cheating, the temptation will be for them to cheat. Learn behaviors. Really, that's why we want to learn from our Father in heaven, how he does things. And so he says, the men in the place asked him about his wife, and he said, she's my sister. For he was afraid to say, she's my wife, because he thought. Now remember, your thinking is not always God's way. He thought. If you like to underline things in your Bible, underline the word thought. Because he thought, lest the men of this place should kill me for Rebecca, because she's beautiful to behold. Well, came to pass. When he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Um, he's going, that ain't his sister. <laughs> hey, they're out there messing around. <laughs> this ain't right. So Abimelech called Isaac, said to him, quite obviously she's your wife. So how could you say she's my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of your people might soon have lain, uh, uh, lain with your wife, and you would have built, brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all of his people, saying, whoever touches this man or his wife will surely be put to death. Then Isaac showed, uh, sowed, that, sowed in the field of the land and reaped that same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And by the way, again, here it is. He's sojourning in a foreign land. We've established that Isaac got caught lying, was rebuked by somebody that did not know Yahweh saying, why are you lying to us? Here's the good news. And the Lord blessed him in spite of it. See, friends, I've had people say to me, why was God such a God of wrath and anger and fire and brimstone in the Old Testament and the New Testament? God is a God of love. I've had people tell me that. And I go, then you're not reading the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, you would realize in spite of Abraham, Isaac being sometimes very contrary to God, being rebuked by the world for their behavior. It's one thing for a Christian or a believer to rebuke another believer because of their behavior. But when the world rebukes a believer because of their behavior, that's pretty bad, friends. And here you have Abimelech saying, why are you lying to us? You could have brought a curse upon our land because of what you're doing. And he goes, well, I just lied because I was afraid somebody was going to kill me. The good news is God blessed him. Do you see this? A lot of times we think God's blessing is only if I do everything right. The truth of the matter is, the Bible says in the New Testament, all things are lawful for us as believers, but all things are not the best for us. 
God's blessing will bless you. Why? Because he loves you. That does not mean God only blesses good little boys and hates bad little boys or girls. But that God will bless you. But here is what is so amazing. God blessed Isaac. By the way, Jake, uh, uh, um, um, uh, Esau and, and, and Jacob are, are with him. They're watching all this go on. This is all part of, uh, of you know, watching dad do all these things. And, and um, by the way, it wasn't uh, uh, certainly at this time after he'd had kids. Uh, being older, didn't think it was wrong to show affection towards his wife, evidently publicly, because Abimelech's odd. But the thing is, God blessed him. Verse 13, the man began to prosper and continued prospering until he became very prosperous. In other words, he kept getting richer and richer and richer. God's blessing was upon him. Now again, this is after he was rebuked by the world for lying concerning his wife. You getting that point? God is good in spite when we aren't. Oh, this is so hard for a lot of people because God only blesses good little boys and hates bad little boys. No, God blesses you because he loves you. Now look at this. This is what is so amazing. For he had possessions of flocks, possessions of herds of great numbers of servants. So the Philistines envied him. That is the point. The Philistines saw the blessings of God in Isaac's life. Now, rather than envying him, they should have came and say, Isaac, what's your secret, dude? I mean, how is this happening? We're, we're, we're in this land together, and we see the anointing something about you. See, people of the world, they don't see God in your life. They see the blessing of God in your life. They see your stability. They see your heart. They see your generosity. They see those things. People of the world don't see that. They see that, but they don't see God. You got to train your eye to see God. Remember a couple of stories. Guy down in missionary going through the jungle in Africa. And all of a sudden his guide stopped him and said, stop. He goes, why? And he goes, snakes. And the missionary said, I don't see any snakes. And he said, right above your head. He looks up and here's a giant snake wrapped around a branch. He goes, I didn't see that. And he said, because your eye is not trained to see that. Whatever you guys do, girls, you do. I know in the body and fender world that I came out of many years ago, you could spot bad body work a mile away. Why is that? Because it was so wavy, you could surf down the side of the door. I mean, that was bad. But why? Because your eye is trained to know what is good. And what, if you're a carpenter, you know a good frame job, you know a shoddy frame job. If you're a seamstress, you know good stitching, you know bad stitching. You know, you know good customer care, you know bad customer care. 
You recognize it. Your eye is trained to see it. What I believe the Bible does as we read it, rather than just motivational speaking, is we, as we look and see how God blessed Abraham and Isaac, it trains us to what to look for, to what to watch for, so we'll be able to uh, understand how God is moving in our lives. The world could see it. I don't know oftentimes if Isaac saw it. But the world sees it. The world sees it in you. And so to be a good representative of him, I believe in a fallen world, is a testimony of the greatness of God. God moved Isaac from where he was at, his area of comfortability, because of a famine to a foreign land so everybody could see the greatness of God, God dealing with him. I like that about God. You are his workmanship, the Bible says. You're his poema. You're his poem, if you will, to the world. So he says... He had Now the Philistines envied him. So what do you got to do when you envy somebody? You make life hard for him. So now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. Now, not just earth, but the word here actually means earth and big rocks. You say, well, what's the big deal? They didn't have really high-performance steel well drillers in those days. Everything they did, they did by hand. And so you get some of these big boulders. And if you've ever been to Israel and in that area in the Middle East, you see these huge stones. That's what they dumped in the holes. You, You didn't just get those out easily. They were very difficult. Without wells and without water, there was no life. And so to frustrate The anointing of God in Isaac's life, the enemy tried to shut off the water or the streams of life in his life. The devil does that. He does that, uses gossip, uses chattering and backbiting, all those kinds of things. And so Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. That gives you a pretty good idea how God had blessed him. Then Isaac departed from there, pitched his tent towards the valley of Gerar, and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which his father uh, had dug in the days of Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up, After the death of Abraham, he called them by names which his father had given him. Also Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found wells of water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac herdsmen. The water is ours, they said. So we call the name of the well Esek, which means a place of contention because they quarreled over it with him. Verse 21, they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one. So he called its name Sitna, which means literally enmity or oppression. And he moved from there. See, God's favor was following wherever he went, 
And they kept trying to chase the anointing away, but the anointing of God doesn't go away because it was him that was anointed, not the wealth. It was him that was anointed, not the circumstance. Remember that. You are God's blessing. And he moved from there and dug another well. This one, they didn't quarrel over it. Uh, quarrel over it. And its name was Reboth because from now on the Lord has made room for us and it will be fruitful in the land. And literally the name of the well is roominess, room for all of us. It went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him that same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham, do not fear. For I am with you, I will bless you, multiply your descendants for my Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there on the name of the Lord. He pitched his tent there. Isaac servants dug a well. And Abimelech came to him from Gazar again with uh, Ahaz's, one of his friends, the Philistine, um, uh, literally uh, his uh, protocol, the commander of the army. And Abraham said to him, why have you come to me since you hate me and sent me out of your land. But they said to him, we have certainly seen that the Lord is with you. Bang, that's it. That's it. They got it. We have seen that God is with you. We have tried to chase you from every well. We've thrown you out of our land and you just keep getting bigger and better and bigger and better. We know God's with you. Friends, don't you think that's what God wants to do today? Don't you think that people look at you and try and figure out what's your juju? How does it work? What? You can't lose with the stuff I use. And they're trying to figure out what you're doing. And all we are is just following Jesus. It's the way God works. And they came to him. They recognized the hand of God in his life. We've seen that the Lord is with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between you and us. And let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm since we have not touched you and since we have not done anything to you but good and have sent you away in peace. Now uh, you are blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank and they rose up early in the morning and swore an oath to one another. Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. And it came to pass that same day that Isaac's servants came to him, told him about a well that they have dug, and we have found water, and literally it was a spring type, and they called it Sebeth. Therefore, it's there it's in the city of Beersheba to this day. Amazing. The very day he makes peace with them, they came and said, hey, we got you another well. Now, those days, those are expensive. In fact, they're expensive to dwell, uh, to dig today, even here. And so here you find this, uh, what God is doing, and God just keeps blessing him. Now, it'd be nice if the story stopped here. Isn't that the way it always is? Next two verses are not so good. And when Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beri, uh, the Hittite, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they were a grief in the mind to Isaac and Rebekah. He chose poor, poorly. Now remember, this was one of the things that God spoke to Abraham. Don't take a wife from the Canaanites. Go back to my people. And that's how God brought Rebekah into 
uh, Isaac's life. Instead, Esau chose the ways of the world. No doubt, probably, notice it says they were a grief to the mind of Isaac and Rebekah. Probably these women brought in very pagan practices into their home. People ask the question, why did the Bible say Esau, Jacob I've loved, Esau I've hated? Because God knew the choices that Esau would make in his life. Nothing takes God by surprise. Somebody asked the question, well, if God is God, then why do we all have to go through this zoo we call living? Since God already knows who's going to make it and who ain't going to make it, why do we have to all go through this? Because God deals in real time. Well, if I would have really lived my life, I wouldn't have made those decisions. God says, I'm going to eliminate that argument. Everybody's going to live their life out. And we'll be rewarded according to what we've been. Second of all, you know, along the road, we learn a lot, don't we? You know, the Bible says when we get to heaven, we're going to be known as we're known. You'll be no stranger there. What does that mean? The experiences you have experienced in this life, knowing that God blesses obedience, that God punishes or or rebellion, we we go, wow, God, um, I want to be blessed by you. Now, remember this, God loves you. You say, well, if, if I go out and I'm rebellious to God, um, uh, do I expect to be blessed? Well, you're still going to be blessed that you're a child of God. But let me tell you this, there are consequences in sin. And because God loves you and loves me, if it wasn't sin, it would be okay. In other words, there's behavior that we do And it carries with it a consequence. That's why it's sin. It isn't that God turns it into sin. Oh, this is something fun he really likes to do. I'm going to make it a sin. No, that's not the way it works. God says, this is what happens if you do these things. You get around a bunch of worldly people. You will begin to develop their ideas and it will compromise your faith so that you no longer shine as God wants you to. God's blessing is still there, but you ain't shining no more. You get around a bunch of worldly people. You date non-believers. You're going to find your heart being taken away by by the cares of this world. It isn't that God says, oh, you're dating a worldly person. I'm going to make it really hard for you. Okay. No. It's the natural result of getting involved with people who don't see life like you do. Can two, the Bible say, walk together unless they're in agreement? The answer is no. You see, it's really wonderful when you have a helpmate from the Lord. It's a miserable thing when you have somebody always trying to go a different direction. You do that with a pair of yoke of oxen, you'll never plow a straight line, ever. You'll never get to the other side of the field in a straight line. Why? Because one's always pulling harder than the other one. You won't be in agreement. You see, God desires you for a showpiece. This morning we have communion. And Jesus, as he was in that upper room, he said, how I've longed to eat this with you. Now remember, the disciples were going to be his showpiece. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified. Then he knew that he was going to be here for um, 40 days afterwards and then ascend to heaven. He knew that. So he knew that everything that he could put into them 
for his showpiece. This is one of the things all the way through the New Testament you'll find. They said they were amazed concerning the disciples because it says they know they were unlearned men, but they had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus will give you wisdom in decisions and advice that you will give other people. And just as the Philistines recognize the anointing of God on Isaac's life, people recognize the anointing of God in your life. Your mom, your dad, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your co-workers, all those people see God in your life. You say, well, Mike, I, I, I don't think I've shown very much good for God. Well, you know what? Isaac was telling Abimelech, hey, she's my sister. But God still let everybody see the anointing of God in his life. You can't hide when you've been hanging out with God because it rubs off on you. That's good news. That's good news. Do you ever notice when you're around people, you ever notice when you're around people, you start talking like they do? Like, like um, you know, in high school, you, you'd be around somebody and they'd start using some catchphrase. Oh man, that's gnarly. Okay. And then when somebody asks you, what do you think? I think that's uh, gnarly. Where did you learn that? From Chuck? Oh, really? Yeah. You, you emulate, you, you start taking on the identity of who you hang around with. I guarantee you, you hang around with God, you're going to be picking up not only his glow, you're going to be picking up his lingo too. People see that. Friends, that's a good thing. I heard it said one time, you have your father's eyes. You do. If you've been around God, you have your daddy's eyes. Because you start seeing it the way God sees it. I I, I may not always want to see it the way God sees it. But nevertheless, I know what God is telling me is true. And that's good. Jesus, he holds up the bread And he breaks it. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Peter says, quoting the Old Testament, his body was broken so we could be healed. By his his brokenness, you can be restored. To miss that, Paul says in Corinthians 11, for this reason many are sick and dead among you because they were partaking of communion in a party fashion, not in a place of realizing God medicinally wants to touch us. We're never going to be worthy enough to have communion, friends. God makes you and me worthy. But it's the way we view communion And Paul says, because people come together, it's not for your better, it's for your worse. They had turned communion into a drunken party. And it was just a meaningless ritual. And he says, for this reason, many are sick and dead among you. Because they failed to realize the medicinal, spiritual application of communion. This morning, you need that. First, you need to know you're loved by God. That blood was shed for you. Somebody thought so much of you that they would die for you. That's pretty good, isn't it? When you feel pretty worthless, you got to remember, well, God thought enough of me to die for me. Number two, by his stripes we're healed, is what Peter says. 
And that's for your healing. Now, we're complex beings. You're a body, mind, and spirit. Your body might be working just great. But your thought patterns are pretty sick. You need God's touch in your brain, in your thoughts. Maybe your body is not functioning well, but you've got a sharp mind. Well, your body is what needs a touch. By his stripes, we're healed. Whatever you need from God today, that's what communion is about. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I think it's amazing. This is the way Jesus wanted to be remembered. He wanted to be remembered, and while we're remembering him, he heals us. I like that. That's good. So this morning... If you're not a Christian, communion's kind of meaningless. It's a ritual, the church does, but if you're outside the family of God, it doesn't really apply to you because you're not God's kid. So you need to be God's kid. You need to be that person of showcase where God says, hey, I'm going to put my anointing upon you, and people will see you and ultimately recognize me. Wow, that's pretty good. By the way, the Philistines, they were pagans. But they recognized God in Isaac's life. They recognized God previously in Abraham's life. And God will be recognized in your life by those around you. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you need to get right with God. You're calling the shots and you're going to hell. Sorry. But how about this? Trade something you can't keep for something you can never lose. That's a good deal. I like good deals. I look for them. Trade something I can't keep for something I can never lose. Boy, that's a good deal. So what we do then is we say, okay, God, I know I'm going to die someday. I've driven by enough cemeteries. I know I'm not going to be around here forever. So I'll trade what I have right now. Yes, Carol Barrel, it's sitting in blue behind the curtain number three. No. It's God saying, I'm going to trade You trade your life that's going to die for my life, and you'll never die. What a deal. But the Bible says, I've got to admit something. I've sinned. I've missed the mark continually. The Bible says, if I'll confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness for you, too. What a deal. That's pretty good. So all I got to do is just say, Lord, come in my life. Whatever life I have left on this planet, it's yours. I abandon my pursuits. From now on, it's yours. Make me that showpiece you want me to be. And God says, now we can go someplace. God's the perfect gentleman. You know, Revelation chapter 3. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I I read that and I look at that and I go, that's pretty cool because it doesn't say, behold, I stand at the door and kick the door off its hinges. No, God doesn't do that. He knocks and waits for us to respond. God's knocking right now. Will you respond? If you want to respond, pray this. Repeat after me and God will do as you ask. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. From this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I'm sorry for the life I've lived. And so now transform me, born me new. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. 
And his blood covered my sins. And so now fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to be about your business. Give me love for the lost. Give me boldness. And thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. That's all. You go, wow, that's so simple. Yeah, God didn't make it hard. He knew us. The Bible says, in fact, except a man becomes a child, he'll not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why do he do that? Because he knows that we would complicate it. Religion does that. It isn't a prayer in the cults. No, you got to get out and show your worthiness. Wear blue, eat organically grown food, and you just might make it. God goes, nope, none of that. You see, Jesus paid the price for you this morning. If you prayed that, you're welcome now to have communion. You need your body healed. You need your mind healed. You need your memories healed. You need your soul cleansed. Well, that's what God will do as we have communion. Letting God be God, wonderful. See, he'll bless you because he loves you.